chapter 30, the first eight verses. This is number 14 in my series I've been preaching on the kingdom of God. It's called Pursue and Recover. Pursue and Recover. Um, before we read it, just a quick little bit of background. Uh, before David actually took the throne and united Israel and Judah and became the first king of that united, the united uh, nation of, uh, of Israel. Actually, the second king, Saul, was the first king, but um, and initiated that golden era, about 37, 39 years or so of, of uh, just wonderful ministry. God had anointed him when he was young, called him out by the prophet Samuel. Uh, he was called to be the king, but he spent many years being persecuted by King Saul. So he was running. He spent most of his time fleeing from King Saul. And one, at one point, he was literally working for the Philistines um, as a, uh, well, basically as a, as a mercenary. He and his 600 men, he had six, a band of 600 very capable fighters. And um, the Philistines gave him a city to live in. It was called Ziklag. And Ziklag had been a Philistine city, and, and uh, the king of the Philistines just handed it to, to David. And so it culturally and in every way became, if you will, the headquarters of the future kingdom of Israel. And uh, David is 600 men, their wives, their children, all their possessions settled in, the, in Ziklag. And so David was out one, one time on a uh, military adventure fighting some people. The families were all left behind. And this tribe, you've heard of them, the Amalekites. The Amalekites raided the city and stole all of the family members, didn't kill any of them, but took all the wives and children and uh, destroyed all the homes and took all their possessions. The Amalekites, let me just say, there's so much that could be said about them. They are uh, they were the sworn eternal enemy of God and of the kingdom of God. There was no tribe, there were no people on the face of the earth more vile, more hated than the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the tribe that attacked Moses and the children of Israel when they first came out of Egypt. And they attacked them with a surprise attack without any reason except that they hated. They saw God's blessing, they hated it, and they wanted to annihilate the Jews. And so there's a, they, Jewish tradition says that they were a tribe of sorcerers, they were a, um, they were a nomadic tribe, they lived in the Negev Desert, uh, uh, south of Canaan, between Sinai and Canaan, and um, they, by all accounts, were just an abomination, an abominable people. When um, Joshua took the children of Israel finally from the promised land into Canaan, Moses told him by the Spirit, he said, do not forget what the Amalekites did and wipe them out. Do not let a single one of them escape. Kill them all. And these are some of the verses in the Old Testament that, that disturb modern thinkers today. How could God say that? And, but it was the Amalekites that God said that about. And then once they entered into the promised land, 
it was a constant battle with the Amalekites. For whatever reason, and I just have to say that sometimes you have an enemy, and you, there's no rational reason why they're your enemy. They hate the God in you. They hate the light in you. And they just won't leave you alone. They won't stop attacking you. It's very much that antichrist spirit. So they seem to be a tribe of people that embodied the anti-government of God spirit. So these are the Amalekites. Okay, now let's go ahead and read our text. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 through 8. Now when David and his men came home to Ziklag, on the third day they found that the Amalekites had made a raid on the south, the Negev, um, on Ziklag. And they had struck Ziklag, burned it with fire, and had taken the women and all who were there. And let me just pause for a moment. The city was not just inhabited by David and his 600 men and their families. The natural inhabitants of Ziklag also lived there, but they lived under David's culture, David's domain, much like the Christians that live in the United States of America. And Ziklag had been burned with fire, and all the women and children that were there, both great and small, had been taken captive. They killed no one, but carried them off and went on their way. So David and his men came to the town, and behold, it was burned, and the wives and the sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and his men with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they could, had no more strength to cry. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and, and uh, uh, Abigail, the widow, widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. David was greatly distressed. I want you to zero in on that and say it with me. David was greatly distressed. For the men spoke of stoning him, because the souls of them all were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to the priest Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. If you don't know, the ephod was the priestly garment that you would put on and go in to pray. And praise the Lord, worship the Lord, call upon the Lord. The ephod. So they want to kill David. They're wailing. Everyone is miserable, including David. And David says to the priest, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band of raiders? Shall I overtake them? The Lord answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail you shall recover all. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. When the eternal arch enemies of God raid his people's communities, rob their possessions, enslave their families, God has a plan for you to rescue all, to recover all. That plan is embodied in one word. Without it, you cannot execute the plan. It's called pursue. Everyone say pursue. God's word to David, go after them, pursue them. Slay them. Get your families back. Get your possessions back. Don't let them get away with it. 
Are you listening to me? That was God's word to solve this problem. But when the, um, when the Amalekites had invaded and captured David's entire society, his whole community, um, his men were crushed into defeat. And the fact is, is that following David as God's anointed king was what provoked the Amalekites to attack and, and, and raid and take their children and their families in the first place. And so they just thought, well, we'll just kill David because we know that him being king and the government being upon him, the kingdom of God resting on him is what drew this hateful attack. Had it not been that David was anointed to be king of Israel, and to establish the kingdom of God. The Amalekites would have just, there were plenty of people they could have attacked and raided, but that hatred for the kingdom. Are you listening to me? And so they wanted to kill David. And by the way, killing David is exactly what the Amalekites wanted. They wanted David dead. Today, our communities in our land are being invaded and overrun by Amalekites. The God-hating, unrelenting enemies of his kingdom. They don't even understand why they are bent in that direction. We know that the, that the forces behind such bending, such focus, such relentless contempt for godliness and for the light are dark forces, spiritual forces, that unless these people are released from that bondage of captivity. They can't come into the light. They are blinded, Paul says, by the demonic God of this world. Can you say amen? amen. And so today we have Amalekites raiding our communities, overrunning. They have overrun our government and are ripping every shred of historic biblical culture from our society. They have raided our schools and carried off our children. And just as David's men blamed and turned against their charismatic leader, many churches today are turning against conservative Christians, blaming them for angering the godless progressives. And the church has become so traumatized by its loss of influence in America that most have simply rolled over and conceded defeat and have settled it must be God's will. The church has changed its mandate kingdom prayer from your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven for Kesara, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. That's the theology that has taken the kingdom prayer out of our pulpits, out of our churches. Jesus has given us a royal order. When the disciples said, teach us how to pray, Jesus wasn't just teaching them a Sunday school prayer. He was teaching them how to operate the keys of the kingdom. To Jesus, everything was about the kingdom of God. And there's no use praying if you're not going to pray in the kingdom. If you're not going to pray for the kingdom, and if you're not going to act with kingdom authority, prayer is useless, meaningless. God's not interested. 
beyond the advance of his kingdom. The reason lost get saved is because God wants to populate his kingdom. So Jesus gave, when he taught us to pray, gave us a royal order, not a suggestion, not a religious phrase. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God does not tolerate the devil. The days of tolerating the accuser ended when he was cast down at the ascension of Jesus Christ. His voice, the Bible says, no longer was heard in heaven. God did not tolerate him when the intercessor, the royal, hallelujah, the royal intercessor arose to fill heaven with his intercession. That blood spoke a better word. It was the first thing that was better about it is the accuser was cast out. Revelation 12 says there was no longer any room. God has not listened to the devil in 2,000 years. He's got the voice of the intercessor. That's all he's interested. He listens to truth and that's it. So Jesus gave the royal order when we pray, your kingdom come in earth like it is in heaven. But the victories of the Amalekites have diluted our desire to press that mandate and pursue. And many in the church today are not pursuing and overtaking and retaking their children, retaking our culture back from the forces of darkness that have taken it. Remember, Ziklag was not just the home of God's royal people, the Jewish people, but all those that lived under their covering. Ziklag belonged to David. It was under the covenant, and so were whatever Philistines and other Steens and Ites that may have lived there. The trouble is we've made a terrible mistake for centuries in the body of Christ. We've let escape theology Talk us out of our kingdom mandate. We've modified the kingdom mandate of your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We've modified it and it's changed into the prayer, Father, the earth rejected your kingdom, but your will is still being done in heaven, so come get me. Jesus did not come to earth to confiscate its people in a heaven repopulation program. Amen. He wasn't lonely in heaven because a third of the angels left and so he's gonna, he was growing people on the earth and now he's going to scoop them and take them away to heaven. Are we going to go to heaven? Yes. But if you read to the end of the book, heaven comes to earth. Throughout the scriptures, he said the earth is established forever. The covenant upon the earth forever. God's purpose in creating Adam was meant to be fulfilled. Not abandoned, not discarded, not defeated, not broken, not given up on. That mandate in our hearts is the mandate that God gave to Adam and redeemed through Jesus Christ. Rule and have dominion. Jesus didn't say, watch the signs till I come. He said, labor and occupy till I come. Stop saying, the rapture's coming. I see the signs. I believe the rapture's coming. I know there are signs. 
But stop sitting, allowing the Amalekites to win every battle, one after another, without standing up and demanding and pushing them back. And saying, oh, the rapture's coming. Things are getting worse. I see the signs. Listen, it's still an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. Let me tell you, it wasn't just true in Jesus' day. It's true today. And all those books that are being written and all the sign seekers don't realize how diverted they have become from our kingdom mandate. Can you say amen? Why are you looking for signs that heaven's rescue choppers are on the way? Why are you looking for those signs? Heaven's watching you. You're the sign that heaven's watching. You're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And's not coming till we do what our assignment is. Can you say amen? amen? So David is at the worst point of his life. His family, the families of his men, all those he's responsible for, have been taken away by the Amalekites. And uh, now they want to kill David. Thank God David said, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. God is not tolerating this. God didn't cause this. God's will is not that this story ends here. Can you say amen? He knew his God. He knew his covenant. And he said, I need to go talk to Papa. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's time for us to rise with kingdom-minded authority and be militantly aggressive and press our intercessory mandate. Stop believing that the struggle ends with an Amalekite victory. Now, I'm using the word Amalekite, but I'm spreading it over all of those different groups and associations that are attacking and destroying, perverting the minds of our children, setting our cities on fire, and the endless tirade. It is an attack. If you haven't uh, opened your eyes and realized, it is an attack that is inexplicable except for one explanation, the spirit of Antichrist. The target beyond Donald Trump, the target beyond conservative Christians, the target beyond biblical values, the target beyond a pro-choice nation and returning to a nation that celebrates and honors life. The target is Jesus, his government, and his claim to be Lord of all. That is the target that triggers the inexplicable hate and contempt for God's righteous rule. So stop believing that the struggle ends with an Amalekite victory. People are, are, are chasing prophetic books and, and uh, all of these, uh, all of these you know, sign books about all the signs because they're, they're, they're listening for the choppers. Well, we're losing. Get us out of here. Don't misunderstand me. There is going to be a get us out of here, but it's temporary. Hallelujah. Stop believing the struggle ends with an Amalekite victory. Be converted to kingdom consciousness rather than convinced by Amalekite culture. 
Why are so many churches today supporting the Amalekites? Because they have knuckled under to Amalekite culture and the spirit of the Amalekite culture. They are in agreement. They don't want to upset the Amalekites. They want to get along with them. They believe we have to share this land with the Amalekites. We have to, we have to divide up the authority. And that is not the case. But too many Christians are convinced that it is. Let me tell you that according to 1 John 4 and 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, basically is a way of saying nothing outside of you is greater than the kingdom that's inside of you. Let me say it again. Nothing outside of you is stronger than the kingdom that is inside of you. Put on the ephod of your calling and encourage yourself in God. Wanted to distill this message down. Put on the ephod of your calling and encourage yourself in God and go get your nation back. Go get your community back. Go get your families back. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, the God in us, I think we have forgotten. We have forgotten. We've forgotten not just how powerful he is, we've forgotten his desire to use his power. We've forgotten how God uses his power. Listen, we're talking about God who drove a million Midianite invaders from Israel using Gideon and 300 shouting men with flashlights. God not only has the power, he loves using it in these awesome dynamic ways. He didn't want the Midianites taking control of Israel. And yet when, when the angel of the Lord found Gideon, Gideon was convinced that was God's will. Well, if the Lord's with us, then why has all this happened? That's the theology of the church today. This must be God's will. Because look how things are turning out. And we pray... Our problem is not whether we pray. Our problem is degrees of intensity, goals. If you do not have a converted kingdom mentality, you're not going to pray through until you hit that goal because you know what the goal is. You know those Amalekites shouldn't get over the, the, the hill with their family before you've gone after them and gotten them back. Take that prey out of the lion's mouth child of God. Can you say amen? amen? Have you forgotten that when a three-nation axis of evil invaded Israel in the days of Jehoshaphat, that he that is in you wiped them all out with a praise team? Used the praise band and the singers. Wiped out a confederation of three nations that had invaded his people. God does not want Amalekites running his people or running the society and culture that they live in. Before you surrender America to the Amalekites, remember that God empowered Samson to slay a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. Just imagine what he could do with you. Before you surrender the Philistines. Are you listening to me? 
Before you accept a godless Marxist takeover of America, remember that our God turned around the entire godless, secular, devil-worshipping city of Nineveh with one message from a reluctant prophet. The entire city, from the king right down to the animals, went on a fast. The animals fasted and sought God. Tell me God cannot turn around the Malachites. He can do it. He wants to do it. Even his prophet didn't want to do it. God got him into a place where he encouraged him to go, and he went. I want, to, I want to share this thought with you kind of as we bring this around. Um, I want to talk with you about a gift that God wants to give you that will rescue your faith and dust it off and free it and break it loose from all of the, the crimping and the crushing uh, that it has underwent. Uh, it, the Bible says David was distressed. His, you might be like the, the men of David and, and you've, just, you're, you've cried out and you're all tapped out. You're just broken down and bruised. Uh, everything's gone. The Amalekites have won. There's nothing to live for it anymore. Let's just kill David. Let's stop being bold, brazen, charismatic, conservative Christians uh, because obviously it makes the culture, makes the, the, the godless angry. And so let's just, let's, let us share the land and let's not, let's not make an issue a target for ourselves. The way we will protect our families is we'll just tone the kingdom down. Are you listening this morning? So God wants to rescue your faith from being broken and broken down and shrunken into that, that kind of thinking. And he wants to give you a gift that will free your faith. It's called the gift of disturbance. <laughs> the gift of disturbance. God wants to send you the gift of disturbance to rescue your faith. Because nothing changes until God's people take, trade in the comfort of sermons for being greatly distressed. Are you willing to give up the goal of being comfortably ministered to, to getting yourself distressed and broken and stirred up and agitated before God? Nothing changes till somebody gets angry. David was greatly distressed. God produced the great prophet Samuel to lead Israel to drive the Amalekites and all the rest of the ites out of the land. Did you know that's why Samuel, perhaps the greatest prophet in all Israel, was, was introduced? God produced Samuel and sent him into the land specifically to stop the Amalekite craziness and to end it. Do you know the Amalekites were the people that Joshua was fighting in the valley of Ajalon? And uh, they began to scurry up the sides of the hills as the sun was going down. And Joshua stopped and he prayed. He said, Lord, help me. Give me some more daylight so that we can finish this army off. And there were the, um, there were the Amalekites scurrying up the hills. They, David was winning, but he wasn't satisfied with just beating him so that they retreated. He remembered the word of the Lord that Moses spoke to him. Kill them all. I'm not suggesting you. Anything. It's a metaphor. I hope you understand. 
Um, so I want you to properly understand the intensity of what I'm saying. It has to do with a specific emotion. And, um, and so he prayed. He said, God, help me. And the Bible says, God, help me. I can't figure out how the world, how the world, how he did it. But God stopped the earth for 24 hours so that night did not fall. And imagine being those Amalekites thinking, God, it's 9 o'clock. It's still bright. It's like noontime. We have nowhere to hide. Joshua chased them. But they all weren't wiped out. They all weren't wiped out. In the days of Samuel, the prophet, God had raised up Saul. The people had chosen him. God said, all right, I'll work with him. Anointed him. And God gave, through Samuel, an order to King Saul. He said he was fighting the Amalekites. He said, remember the word of God. Wipe these people out because they're never going to stop. They're going to keep coming. You'll never coexist with them. They will never accept you. They will never allow you to live in peace. Are you listening? Do you understand that? We don't know what it's like to live under those kind of conditions. But this summer, we've begun to find out. Because there's a spirit of Amalekite that's risen in our land, and they are not going to stop until you're dead and gone. Or become one of them, one or the other. There's no tolerance. There's no peace. There's no negotiation. And so King Saul was ordered, wipe them all out and kill their king. I'll be there in about a week. After the battle went on, he has Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Saul doesn't kill him. Keeps him alive. Spares him. Samuel has to do it when he gets there. But once again, the Amalekites got away. They repopulated 400 years later. One of the great, 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 great grandsons of Agag, the king of the Amalekites, an Amalekite himself named Haman, was serving in the courts of Xerxes, where Esther, the story of Esther took place. Haman is the one that hatched the plot to annihilate all the Jews. All of the Jews were living in that empire, and he was the one that came up with the order to wipe them all out. And it was her bold intercession, once again, that spared them, and Haman ended up hanging on his own gallows. So you understand, Samuel the prophet was sent into Israel to blunt this assault by the Amalekites and all of the others. And to lead Israel to drive those Amalekites out. They needed a leader to help focus them and their efforts. But let me tell you how God produced Samuel. Because you're probably sitting there thinking, oh, we need a Samuel today. Where are we going to get us a Samuel? I'm glad you're asking. In 1 Samuel chapter seven, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 and verse 10. And so it was that year after year, whenever Hannah, the woman Hannah, she was, she was married and, and her husband had two wives, her and another. Hannah was barren, couldn't have children. The other wife, she's dropping babies all over the place. So whenever Hannah went up to the Lord's house, Peninnah, the other wife provoked her so that Hannah wept and would not eat. 
And Hannah was in distress of soul. Sound like anyone else? David was in distress when he took the ephod. Are you listening? She was in distress of soul, would not eat, praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. She vowed to the Lord, saying, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your handmaiden and earnestly remember and not forget your handmaiden, but will give me a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. That is where Sam Ewell came from. If the church today is going to raise up Samuels, it's the spirit of Hannah that's going to do it. It takes, it ta Samuels are forged by the pressure of distressing desire that will not be consolidated and, and consoled by anything else. So let me just sum this up and tell you that the church that finds the theft of its children, the destructions of its biblical heritage, intolerable. The church that refuses to accept an Amalekite victory. And with a fierce grieving spirit, takes up the ephod of the kingdom mandate. Kingdom come, will be done. I'm not settling for anything less. will go and seek the face of God for his answer, that church is the one in our day. If we can get together such a church, if the body of Christ, enough of it, can come together with that spirit, with that vision, that will be the church that hears God say, Arise, pursue, you shall recover all. Amen. I don't know if it's going to take another 10 or 10,000 years for us to complete our assignment to take the gospel into all the world. But I do know this. That as America has risen as a great light among all of the historic nations and empires of the world. And in spite of all of its mistakes and sins and compromises. Has been the greatest fortress for the kingdom of God. America is being attacked for that very reason by the Amalekites who want to change it, want to re-establish re its DNA, change its historic course. Either a church is going to stand up and put on the ephod and God will say, pursue and I'll give you your country back if my people, which are called by my name, I will heal their land. If such a church emerges, people like you and I, God will say, because if God doesn't say, pursue, without pursuit, there is no recovery. America will simply continue to exist, but under a cloud of darkness. The light of the gospel will become dimmed. The freedoms the blessings of the gospel will begin to disappear from our shores and the world could go back into another 500,000 years of darkness, of the kind of history that we came out of four or 500 years ago. And so I'm telling you right now that we are sitting at the cusp, we are at the knife's edge of a historic moment. We are either going to arise and pursue 
or we're going to simply accept the theology of defeat. This must be the will of God. Heaven send the choppers. And God isn't sending those choppers until the job's done. I want you to close your Bible. Stand up with me this morning.